Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. This week's episode actually comes out of a listener request. We got a request on Instagram, I believe it was, from a newer teacher asking us if we would go over some classroom management strategies, like the basics, just where to even start like coming out of the gate as a teacher. And so Amanda and I put our heads together and we said, you know what, we can streamline this and talk about the absolute essential strategies we have four for you today for how to streamline your classroom management. Obviously, this isn't going to cover all avenues. So we'll be doing some later episodes, I'm sure, on classroom and behavior management. But this is a place where these are our go-tos. If we haven't set the scene for classroom management with these four strategies, this is where to start and then move on to anything and everything else. Hello, my friend. Hey, everybody. Hi, Marie. It's so good to be here. I love this topic. I do too. And it used to make me so like stress, sweaty, nervous when I was like first starting out as a teacher because my classroom management depended completely on my personality when I was first starting out as a teacher and you are nodding your head. And I know that many people who have been teaching for more than a minute are nodding their heads going, yes, that's exhausting. (laughs) When you, yeah, when you rely on yourself and your energy and your personality and your rapport with students almost solely for classroom management and behavior management, it is a recipe for burnout by like month three. 
It is so draining. I talked to you as a little bit about some of my horror stories on our, <laughs> our wins and fails episode. And I just think about so many of my fails are related to this topic. And I feel like as much as we're going to talk to you guys today, you have to remember in the back of your mind that all of us who speak about it now, we had to live it in all of the most painful ways uh, in those early days too. So living, living through it is part of the game. Um, it will teach you things about yourself. It'll teach you things about your school, like who's going to back you up and who's not and you know how on your own you really are. Um, and, and that's okay. So please know that all of this comes from this is what year 13 and a million or and a half or something for me and 14 and a half million for, for Marie. Uh-huh. It's, it's uh, yeah, about uh, approximately roughly because teaching years are like dog years, you know, like there's no way that that actually explains how long it feels like I've been doing this job. You know, it's, it's kind of exponential. I know. <laughs> so know that as we get started, like we're coming from a place of we've been there We'll have a little sense of humor about all of the things that go wrong and uh, learn from it. Move forward. Before we hop into our intro music, I wanted to let everybody know that we have all of our tips and strategies in the format of a checklist for you that you can download and print and put in the front of your teacher binder or on your desktop or wherever it is that you want to put it. Head over to bravenewteaching.com to get your hands on that checklist. And let's go ahead and cue that music. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Amanda, I have to say that I think I actually finally figured out my, I didn't like figured out, but I finally understood and hit my stride when it comes to classroom management when I became a mom. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that everybody has to be a parent to understand and to feel classroom management. But for me, it just, I think it's simply because I didn't have more energy to give. So therefore I had to learn these strategies the right way. And like it forced me because I was running on like three hours of sleep a night (laughs) as a new parent and trying to muscle my way through using my very rough at that point personality as a classroom management tool and strategy was just like not an option. So I had to develop these strategies and it was it was the things people have been telling me for years that I finally was like, Oh, (laughs) I get it now. I don't know about I, I you. Can rem- I can remember the physical toll of not having a strategy and not having a, a hold on this. I remember the the dreams. I remember the yes. gut rot feeling on Sunday night, just not for because I knew if I wasn't prepared, there were going to be issues. I knew if I was prepared, there were going to be issues. And I had some tough kids. My and I still look back and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I handled that the first year. I still think I would struggle with those kids. And there's a lot of unknown. And there's a lot of unknown in other parts of the job too. So all of that overlapping can be really daunting and really just physically make you feel um, sick, worried, anxious, all of the above. 
Well, and the fact of the matter is kids are kids. I know I say that on here all the time, but kids are kids and they are human. And by nature, they're going to push the envelope, right? Like not everybody, but for the most part, that's what we do. And so without like things put into place, it becomes really hard as the teacher to be able to manage all of those energies and personalities. And we've got some really good strategies that you can use today and start implementing in your classroom to move forward and find your own energy and find the love for working with students that very well could be dwindling a little bit if classroom management is something that's draining your life force. We, I'm also going to link for you guys in the show notes, uh, a copy of, we did a really awesome interview this summer with Dr. Anindya Kundu, and he talks about this idea of student agency and does a really nice job in his book of helping teachers separate um, behaviors from reactions to uh, lack of structure in their lives. There's a lot of things that are going to kind of exist in the background of this conversation that have to do with knowing your students, where they come from and their home situations. Um, Like Marie is saying about being a parent, um, the things that are going on in your children's or not your children's, your students' lives um, behind the scenes almost always is playing some kind of dramatic impact on how they're, they're acting out or not acting in school, whatever that might be. So I think his book is a great place to kind of take this from another angle than reading another classroom management book, but I will link it. And I'll also relink that episode because that would be awesome. Wouldn't it Marita? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that helps you fill in the background and it's that broader perspective and understanding that we as teachers yearn for, but we don't always have the time to seek out. And this is something that we know you guys, our Brave New Teaching community will appreciate. And if you've already listened to that episode, you might want to even give it another listen in like within the frame of this conversation, what we're talking about right now. So like I said, we have four strategies. I have a couple for you guys that you can implement like today, if you're listening on the way to school. Um, And then Amanda has some that are a little bit more like infrastructure that can still help you tomorrow and next week. So my first strategy is to use volume strategically. My strategy is to be strategic, to use volume in a way that works for you, whether that's volume of your own voice, and I'll explain, whether that's volume of music and background, like ambient noise in the room, whether that's, um, this is not going to quite connect, but volume of like light and darkness. (laughs) Okay. That one didn't work, but you know what I mean? So when I know I'm losing my students a little bit and I'm explaining something, I'm giving instruction, I'm whatever. I have a very naturally loud voice. I will purposefully bring down the volume of my voice in increments as I'm talking to my students and I'll bring it down and I'll kind of slow down a little bit too. And and it's the craziest thing. It happens every single time. You'll see the kids lean forward, lean forward. (laughs) Little side conversations start to like, end because they realize that no one else in the room is talking. Like my loud voice isn't drowning out their whispers anymore. And so they have to turn and and face forward because everyone can hear them. And, And just bringing down the teacher volume of the voice really impacts attention and, and it brings everybody in and, and it allows us to all hear it the first time to be able to be on one page all together and move forward. And that's like when somebody's like, what's your number one classroom management strategy? And I'm like, volume. Sometimes if kids are doing work, I'll be playing music in the background. I'll gradually turn the music up, turn the music up while kids are talking to each other. And then I'll suddenly stop the music 
And that change without me having to say, okay, everybody come back. It's the, it's the equivalent of like teachers that use a doorbell in their room, right? But with a group of 40 teenagers, you can't hear the doorbell, but you could hear classical music suddenly end. That's <laughs> like at like 75% volume. Um, so those are just two like really easy strategies that get attention really fast and just kind of bring a whole group together. And that's when my class unravels is normally when we are transitioning between spaces and it's normally between me giving instructions and them doing group work and group work coming back to center with everybody as one. So that is my first big tip. So I'll piggyback on yours and I'll okay. talk a little bit about one that I think people feel about this one that they can't do it if they miss their window at the beginning of the year, but I would say you're wrong. So my classroom management tip is all about routine. I think routines can solve a lot of classroom management issues that come up that maybe you didn't anticipate at the beginning of the year, or maybe that you have never seen to be a problem before. So a, a classroom routine could be something as simple as what you're noticing at the beginning of your class period is that all of the kids are talking uh, to each other, to themselves, to, you know, they're listening to music. They're not ready when the bell rings and they're not, um, they're not ready to go. And so in that case, I would suggest create a beginning of class routine. So the, and it can be whatever you want. I mean, anything. You can have it silent. You can say, we have the first five seconds to kind of like Marie said, slowly kind of go from a hundred to zero. Uh, you could do a countdown. I don't know. Do you want all of their attention on you? Do you want all of their attention on a screen and a notebook? Do you want music as the only sound? Do you want headphones in? I mean, this, this is what's kind of cool about routine is it, it's yours. You design it to solve the problem that you're facing. But then what you have to do is be patient because you have to train your children like you would train a puppy to go to the bathroom outside. And or or to a child accident. to go to the bathroom in the right place. I mean, to go back true. to some earlier episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, and they're going to have setbacks, but you being firm in a routine will eventually help to mitigate that problem. And if it doesn't fully mitigate it, what it will do is help you narrow down who the problem surrounds. Yeah. Um, who and who needs, needs who needs your attention? Who needs yeah. your attention? And it's that baby right over there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which baby needs you? So uh -huh. that will really help in general. So even those of you teachers who are thinking like, I'm not really a very structured person, you don't have to have your entire class period routined out. You know, you don't have to do that. But you know, that's exhausting say, in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. Like my go-to routines are start of class, end of class. And, and when we're in the building, like I, I usually have a routine or at least a system for how we get to small groups. Like if we're going to transition, I have transition types of routines that are really mostly just about volume. Um, but my start of class, end of class routines are unforgivingly rigid. And that's because those are the two times of the period where I'm the most stressed out. And I, uh, have always been told administrators are always the most like, you know, eagle eye on those when they're doing observations. So that's kind of carried over from those early days of like, you know, teaching and fear. Um, but at the beginning of the hour I do, <laughs> I, I have bell work and I want them to be working on the bell work and I want it to be done individually and silently so that I can do 
logistical kinds of things. I can take attendance. I can um, finish a conversation with a student from the previous class period. I can check in with a co-teacher. I can send an email to someone that urgently needs to hear from me. Like I need to know my students are self-sufficiently and silently doing something for the first five to seven minutes without me needing to lead it. So I've created a bell work routine that allows me to do that. And oh my gosh, finally you hit the sweet spot and you're like, yeah. Well, and I was one of those teachers that said to my, like, I was like, I'm just not that structured. I just don't really need that. And I mean, we're talking a decade into my career. I was like, oh, it's fine. At the beginning of class, they know what to do. I'll just get their attention. Then I spent a couple years as an itinerant teacher. So I wasn't quite 10 years in the math doesn't work out here, guys, but you catch what I mean. I was an itinerant teacher in transitional kindergarten. So like pre-K through fifth grade classes. That's, that's a podcast, a story for another day, that whole experience. But I saw five-year-olds coming into a classroom and knowing exactly what to do on their own. And I was like, mm, I'm a fool. <laughs> like, yes. I teach seniors in high school and they come yeah. in, they come in like, screaming like banshees and just like throwing their stuff around. And I'm like, Oh, I'm embarrassed at my own lack of structure. Once I implemented a beginning of class routine and it doesn't have to be super elaborate either. It's just like, this is what's going on at the beginning of class. The thing that always used to get me is the end of class, the packing up before it's time. And like, I know I'm not one of those, the, the, you know, the, what is it? The bell doesn't excuse you. I do. No, the bell excuses you kindly leave. Mommy loves you. Make good choices. Get out, but stop packing up while I'm still giving you instructions that you need to write down. You little ding dongs. I'm still giving you the things you need. If you email me tonight asking me what I said at the end of class, I'm going to have an aneurysm. So putting into place an end of class routine where we all know what to do. And like, I've seen avid classes do like, like the one, two, three, like a power whoosh or whatever. Like you could do team building kind of things or just know exactly how and when to do stuff. It, it simplifies and it makes your own heart palpitations like ease quite a bit. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to hear my really fancy end of class routine? Yes. So I told my students, I said, there's two things we're going to do. You pack up your things when I say it's time to pack up. You guys ready for my book deal? I mean, that was like, I mean, that's kind of it. And, I, and minds I, were I, blown across America. <laughs> if I hear a zipper before I say it's time to pack up, I would keep them. I would keep them and I would um, keep them after the bell. And not long, guys. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be long. It has to just be long enough that Sarah misses her check-in with Johnny down the hallway. So oh, yeah. That, right? Like yeah. just enough to interrupt whoever there it is that they're going to bump into in the hallway afterwards. Uh, I mean, seconds, I would keep them after. And, and they very quickly, they want to, they want to go. They, oh, for they sure. Really wanna, it's not that they want to ditch their education and leave you. It's that they want to see their friends. And so it was, okay, when I, when I say it's time to pack up your things, you can pack up. And the only other rule is that they have to have cheeks and chairs. See, I, yeah, we do. I don't want them lining up. No, I don't want them lining up at the door. And I tell them quite frankly, it's because I'm a spaz. And if we have an emergency at the end of class and you're all lined up at the door, I have no power to protect you. Yeah. And that makes them go, 
oh, I didn't think about it that way. And I go, I know you didn't because you're a kid, but I always think about it that way. That is always front in my mind. These are other people's babies. And if something happens, I have to have control over the situation. And that's when they go, oh, well, yeah, we'll wait. And I go, that's, you don't have to be in your chair. You just can't be at the door. So we have a whole cleanup routine in my classroom because we've got such like collaborative community. Like my classroom is set up with three long, like 10 person seat tables that go in kind of aisles down the room. And it looks like at a European restaurant with like communal seating. Um, and then there's a couple other little areas, but there's always stuff all over the place and they have specific roles for each group and who has to clean up what. And so we have that, it's kind of elaborate. But once we get that going and we're trained, we're good to go. You can mill around. You can stand behind your chair. Just you may not leave your spot. Like that's it. Yeah. And that's actually. The routine. Make it yourself. Exactly. So to tack onto this, our third tip for you today is expectations. Expectations make them clear and use them consistently. Expectations regarding behavior, expectations regarding uh, what happens on an assignment, expectations for everything need to be extremely, ridiculously clear, and they have to be consistently implemented and upheld. Like, I don't even think we have to explain that anymore. The, the classroom management shift that you will see if you look at your expectations and you lay them out as plainly as you can and you keep them as consistent as is humanly possible, things will be like night and day with behavior management. And you repeat them. They're yep. repeated. You know, oh. we're about to do small group work. The expectation is yes. this. We're about to do this activity. The expectation is this. Just and as whenever we do reading in class, this is what we are expecting to see. Exactly. It's the repetition and it's posted up all over the classroom. It is posted online. It is written on their written assignment. It is verbally given. It's not overkill. It's just helping alleviate their anxiety of knowing what they're supposed to do. Because a lot of times I find kids spaz out and have behavior problems when they don't know what to do. <laughs> if, so in the business world, guys, when we send out emails, Marie and I, we talk about this thing called conversion rate um, and open rates. So yep. there's, there's a percentage of you guys who open your emails every time we send it and a percentage of you who don't. Our students are kind of like that. Like we send out messages all the time, but only a certain percentage of them are opening up the email. You know, every not- time. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're missing 70% of those verbal emails that we're sending with expectations. <laughs> True. And so don't feel like you are, you do feel like you're repeating yourself, but they're only hearing it so many times out of all the times that you say it. And if they hear it every time, then they're going to know exactly what to do. Like that kid is going to be so prepared. I remember feeling really vulnerable and kind of embarrassed about this in my earlier years of teaching. And I, I, when I finally got the courage up to ask one of my friend teachers to come in and watch me teach, I just asked her to watch for just this thing. And I said, listen, I don't really know if I'm being clear about my expectations and can you come just watch a class and tell me? And it wasn't an observation. It wasn't my boss. It was just one of my friends that I trusted, um, who maybe she didn't really know either. You know, I think we were probably both pretty new at the time. Um, but, but that was super helpful. Um, because she was able to tell me right away after that period, here's where I totally was clear. And here's where it was a little bit unclear exactly what she wanted us to do. And it was just that it was just about expectations. It wasn't about, you know, being observed as a very, vulnerable thing to do. Sure. 
But when you know exactly what it is you want someone to look for, that really helps, I think, the conversation afterwards. And it will definitely make you better. Oh, yeah. And I mean, after the fact, when she was saying, hey, here's where I got confused. Did you feel like a terrible teacher, Amanda? No. 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 You got to fix it. You had to fix the problem and then go, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And it's, it is, it's intimidating. It's when you're used to being with kids, no matter how old or young they are, there's just a different energy that happens when there are adults around. And Amanda and I also speak from the perspective of we have co-teachers in our classrooms who are our colleagues and our friends and we teach together and she and I bounce ideas off each other all the time. And we know that's not common practice everywhere, but you can make it your own practice. Like it's not, it's okay. It's as scary as it sounds, but it's not detrimental. Like it's not bad for you. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. It is good. And it made it, it made it actually easier to have those conversations with my boss when it was observation time, because I could say, I've been working on X, Y, and Z. I've had this person come watch me. I've been in conversation. It was really, it really did help, but it took a few years before I was ready to oh, ask yeah. for it. Cause well, there's a, there's a certain amount too of just like confidence building to say, okay, if there's something that I'm doing that could be done better, it doesn't make me a bad teacher. It doesn't make me bad at my job or this imposter syndrome that has come into place. Like, I feel like that's also a podcast for another day. We could go into a whole imposter syndrome as teachers and like not wanting to be wrong thing. But Amanda has pretty much our like biggest overall tip. And this really does have to do with infrastructure. And this is not going to come to us as a surprise as those of you who have been with us since the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) this is bigger than a tip, but this is a shift in the way you think about your classroom, the way you think about your curriculum. Um, Tip number four is step back and look at what you're teaching and why. Okay, go. Um, (laughs) So episode over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me, I'll break that down a little bit. So, so one of the things, you know, I can, I'm going to give a very specific example right now from what we're working on in um, the beginning of fall 2020. So in my regular junior class, it is a co-taught class. So that means I have gen ed kids. I have some students with IEPs for various different things, 504s, you name it. And we are reading the novel, A Thousand Splendid Sons. And our unit is framed with the essential question, why do relationships matter? Um, The skill focus of our unit is on literary analysis. And so here's where the classroom management piece comes in. When you get to this spot where we are, is about halfway through the, the novel and about also about halfway through the unit, kids start to drop off. They start to misbehave. They start to not follow through on the things that were happening in the honeymoon beginning activities. Um, cause now they need to actually do some of the work. And so one of the things I've noticed in person when observing other people, and even I look at in myself right now is one what is the skill focus of this unit? So when I look at this unit, I think, okay, literary analysis is the focus and is the assessment in this unit. So if kids are falling behind in the reading, does that impact their ability to do close reading and their ability to do the skills that we're working on? Not necessarily. I mean, in the novel itself, sure, but overall, not really. And the essential question is all about relationships. So there are a lot of things we're doing outside of the novel itself. And so with all that said, I think a lot about pacing. Teachers, I know, want to slow down. 
add time, do more, spoon feed more, um, offer uh, an entire two or three extra days of reading out loud in class and kind of just halt the progress because kids are behind on the reading. And I just would urge you to think about the classroom management nightmares that that might create, because now you're going to have you've slowed down for the students who are behind the kids who were on track are now waiting. So you've kind of created this perfect storm for everyone to be really not in the same place. And so I really think getting a hold on pacing and reminding kids that this is about more than just the pages in the story. At least if you're an English teacher, I know we have other people who are not teaching English, I think keeping the pace going, keep moving is such a dramatic classroom management savior. Um, every time I slowed down, I regretted it. Every well, single time. It's, it's, it's using pacing for engagement, right? It's like totally. keeping, keeping it going because I was definitely that kid who had all the reading done and then we would stop to wait for everybody else. Well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to everybody around me. Everybody around me it's the people who haven't read yet. So it's like <laughs> everything just like blows up all over the place. And this happens in, or happened in my own classroom. Yeah, we go at a breakneck pace in my classroom as well. And it's that pacing that if somebody falls behind, you say, well, then let's figure out how you're going to get caught up. And that's teaching that student a, like a really good life skill of time management and all that without making everybody else wait because we got a job to do. My job is to design and implement curriculum that engages children and teaches them the skills that they need to learn for blah, 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 blah. Their job is to engage. If they're not engaging and sticking up, like keeping up with the pacing, then like, they're not holding up their end of the bargain and that needs to be taken care of. Not let's change the bargain. No. <laughs> so, so, right. So listening to this, you're thinking, well, but okay. I've been well and I've been, but totally. I, I know that because, the, because what you're thinking is I need to be flexible for my students needs. I need to accommodate for my students. Okay. Yes but there's a different way to do it. So the way, what Marie and I are talking about is because we're able to get through more, we are providing more opportunities for students to engage with different things. If I slow down and add an additional week of suns to my semester, I now have one less week in two other units that are going to completely explore other things, other skills and other books. And so you've got to remember to zoom out and and if you have a, a semester where you're spending, I, I guys, I spent 12 weeks one year in a dystopia unit, 12 weeks. And I couldn't figure out why everyone was misbehaving and why they were so bored. I was trying to fix all the problems rather than keep going. And so like what we're, one of the things that we're doing right now, I talked to my co-teacher and we decided what we're going to do is we're going to survey our kids and we're going to keep going. But the accommodation that we've decided that we agreed to is that we're going to ask kids, if you were given time to read, would you use it? One. They'll be and honest too. They'll be totally honest. They're kids. <laughs> and the kids that say yes, what we're going to do is give them individually what they need by pushing back the quiz date for that person. That's perfect. So I, 
right? So now like the pace stays the same. We keep rolling, you know, those individual students who need it will have a couple extra days to do the reading and will be quizzed at a later date. And no one is going to care, first of all, like if kids are quizzing on different days, it's not, it's not a big deal because the, at the end of the day in my unit, and this is why we say this is such an infrastructure piece, at the end of the day, the test isn't a thousand splendid sons test. Right. That's the point. The point is the test is a cold read and literary analysis. And it's, it's something that they've never seen before. So it doesn't, not the story matters so much to me. I love this story. I love this love story between Tyreek and Lila. And I'm like heartbroken that there are 14 students out of 40 or whatever that haven't even touched it. But I can't let that pull me away from the pace that needs to be set to keep kids engaged, keep class moving and get us to all of the things. And the reason that this isn't surprising many of you, that this is like our biggest tip, curriculum, pacing, keeping kids engaged, having the big picture in mind is because we are so fully committed to everything that we've taught in our curriculum rehab course. And those of you who have taken the course and started that little journey with us, you, you know what we're talking about. You know that we're talking about uh, inquiry-driven instruction and inquiry-driven curriculum where students are required to engage and explore in order to learn. Um, it's all the things we're talking about here and keeping up that pace where students can actually keep engaging and keep biting off more and keep going and going and going. But then the kids that really truly do need the help. I've said this here before. I teach um, a couple of classes that are special ed collabs. Like I collaborate with a special ed credentialed teacher. I'm the general ed credentialed teacher and we have a high percentage of students with 504s and IEPs in our classes that are all in the general ed setting. And I still keep the pace the same and I accommodate as needed. And these are classes of 40. So I just, I want you guys to know, I'm like kind of spouting out my own ethos here. Like I do know how hard it is, but I also know if you just keep going and go deeper with like fewer stuff kind of things, it, it really like the classroom management piece absolutely <laughs> solves itself because kids have something to do. Yes. Modify assignments, drop totally. assignments, yep. um, amend deadlines for kids who need it. Um, but keeping the majority at a pace that's moving will end up keeping you know, your expectations high. Yep. It'll keep your routines in place. It'll hold all of that together. And at the end of the year, when you look back at the big picture, that's what you've got to remember. It's so easy for us English teachers, especially to get bogged down in the second, third of a novel study, right? Like that's where it happens is that we all of a sudden are like, oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. But like, we have to remember that there's more to English than the books that we teach. There's so much critical thinking and speaking and writing to be done that is separate from that. And some of that is what those kids who are struggling with reading are really good at. And so just remember the balance, um, is, is going to help in the long run. You're, and and I, I know we're preaching to the choir because you guys pacing takes time to practice. Like you're not going to get it. That's why this is not a classroom management strategy you can implement tomorrow. It's, it takes time. It takes time to get it because you, some of you may have been handed your courses three days before school starts. So yeah. how do you know how long anything's going to take? So just remember, like, we're here for you. We've got this course ready for you when you're ready for it. Um, or you can just keep listening and figure it all out. Um, <laughs> but we are, we get it. We totally get it. 
Yeah. And that's, that's truly why we so fiercely believe in the strategies that we put forward in like planning and having the big picture and having a whole map put out. Um, and you guys are going to hear us talk about it a lot because we love it. And it has changed the way that we both teach. It has changed the way that quite a few other teachers teach now that we've started this whole journey. So hopefully you can take at least those first three tips that we gave you and like volume, routines, and expectations. You can use those today. You can implement those tomorrow and start looking at the big picture and the engagement and curriculum piece and that infrastructure when you can, because that's going to be the biggest game changer is that engagement and keeping everybody going. So. And, and if this is sounding like something that you really are kind of ready to take on, we plan to reopen curriculum rehab for you guys um, at, at a point where you'll be, you'll be able to work on this over winter break, which is where I do a lot of my reflection and redirecting where I want things to go for the next semester. So keep an eye out on our show notes and our Instagram for announcements, but we plan to reopen it very soon. And we'd love for you guys to join the course and um, take that time for yourself because at the end of the day, this is a very backwards way of saying it, but this is, this is self-care for the long term. Because it is. It well, changes things. teaching is not for the faint of heart. It is for people who are committed. It is, it is something that will give you so much back, but it also has the potential to take and drain a lot. And so it just takes kind of learning your own methods and how you want to do things so that teaching fills you up more than it drains you. And once you have that, those scales in that kind of a balance, then it's, it's really a fulfilling career. Um, I do want to point out, head to bravenewteaching.com, pick up our checklist of these strategies. It's just something to like keep in your binder or on the wall next to your desk to help you keep those things in mind. Sometimes just seeing things repeatedly will help us implement strategies that we know are good for us that we kind of forget about. You can also get yourself on the wait list for curriculum rehab so that you can hear updates uh, on your email as quickly as possible right when we send them out. And check out our show notes for this one and the other episode that we uh, mentioned earlier will be linked right there as well. We hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you on Instagram and all the other places. If you have a moment, please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes so that other teachers can join our brave new teaching community and we can just kind of be together and work smarter, not harder. You know what I mean? With that, friends, we will bid you adieu. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. You got this.